Welcome to The Scientist Podcast, the show for anyone wanting to understand the realities of research life. We bring you into the lives of top academics so that you can get to know the people behind the research that's shaping our world. I'm Jamie, your host, and in this podcast, I'll be bringing you candid conversations each week with those on the cutting edge of their fields. Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Scientist Podcast. It's Jamie here as always, and it's my great pleasure to be bringing you Dr. Liang. Dr. Liang is doing some really interesting research on the treatment and development of melanomas, and it's brilliant to have her on to talk about it. Dr. Liang, how are you? Good. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me. No, of course. Well, I mean, it's brilliant to have you and to get into what is a really interesting area of research. So before we get into it, just very briefly, how do you find yourself where you are in your career at the moment in the States? So what we are trying to do here is actually understand the molecular mechanisms of different cellular processes and to understand how these two could integrate with each other at the system level to have impacts on devastating human disease, including cancer and infectious disease and their implications in clinical medicine. So the reason we got very much interested in melanoma research is really because we identified for the first time a gene that has essential roles in UV protection. So that's connected us to the melanoma research. Yeah, this is the really interesting detail for me. It's melanoma research, but actually what you guys have found is a potential bona fide UV protector. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what the research is doing specifically? Okay, the gene is actually, we found it's called UV-RAC. So the complete name is UV resistance associated gene. And this gene was originally cloned in 1997 in a genetic screen for complementing UV sensitivity of zero-domar pigmentosome. And so the name was chosen to reflect that finding, but that study somehow was not explored further. So for many years, the functions of UV-RAG remain completely unknown. So in 2006, and we identified UV-RAG as a key autophagy promoter and tumor suppressor. And that study actually was confirmed later by numerous research in other labs. So for a long while, we thought that autophagy is the major function for UV-RAG. But a question always ringing in my head is that, is UV-RAC indeed UV-resistant? So trying to answer that question led to our later discoveries showing that UV-RAC actually plays a central role in UV protection, and we call it UV sunscreen gene. I love the idea of being called a sunscreen gene, right? Yeah, Um, it's very sexy. (laughs) Very sexy. It's also interesting that that's something that we didn't know much about for the last however many years. And it's only now the research is being done. Yes, right. Actually, we are the first people who identify the sunscreen function, UV protecting mechanism of UV rag. Yeah, so how did you find the sunscreen gene? So the research is actually inspired by a paper published in Nature. So in that paper, they deep sequenced malignant melanoma patient samples, and they identified three driver mutations that they thought contributing to UV-induced mutagenesis and malignancy. And in that paper, and one of this mutation is in UV-RAC. So I was very inspired by that paper because as I noted that, you know, I have this question always in my head. So we were thinking that could UV-RAC be directly involved in UV-induced mutagenesis or damage? So we know one common type of UV-induced DNA damage is the formation of 
the cyclobutane pyrimidine dimers, and we call it CPD. So basically, two neighboring pyrimidine base pairs are fused together. So we set up experiment to test our hypothesis. So we give the cells a UV shot, and then we use CPD to label the UV damaged DNA afterward. So for normal cells, that means the cells carrying normal levels of UV rag, we found that they could repair most of UV-induced DNA damage within 24 hours. But in UV rag deficient cells and the CPD staining, which is a marker for UV damaged DNA, remained very high and for a prolonged time. And this delayed repair can be corrected if you add back normal UV rag, but it cannot be corrected by the UV rag derived from melanoma patients. So this means that when people go tanning, those who have normal UV rag are able to repair most of UV damaged DNA in a timely manner, but those with defective UV rag could have more damage left unrepaired. So after daily accumulation, if those people go tanning or sunbathing quite often, they might have increased risk for developing skin cancer, including melanoma. Actually, in addition to repairing UV-induced DNA damage, we later found that UV rag also is important and in the UV-induced skin pigmentation. So it really works as a true UV protector genes. That's fascinating that it was nature, an article in nature, that kind of sparked or re-sparked your interest. And I'm also fascinated that some people seem to have this gene working, and for some people this gene is slightly defective. What predicts whether someone has this UV protector gene running as it should, and what predicts whether there are people who don't have it running as it should, and therefore they might be more in danger when they're tanning? Okay, everyone has UV rag. So it's also highly conserved from humans all the way back to East. So it's a super conserved and its UV protecting function is also conserved because when we use the Drosophila as a model and we found the Drosophila version of UV rag has the same function in UV protection. But for melanomas, we found that UV rag is really disliked by melanoma. It's either suppressed or it's actually mutated. So the suppression of UV rag or mutated version of UV rag make this gene not functioning correctly. So currently, there is no exact method to directly predict the UV rag functionality in cells. Actually, we are working on that, and we are trying to understand to what extent and in which aspect that the defects of UV rag could affect the general population in terms of melanoma development. Is the suggestion that any suppression of UV rag in somebody would be genetic, or is there an idea that it would be environmental or some combination? I would say it's going to be a combination because we found that the mutations of UV rag also carries a UV signature. That means the mutations also likely induced by UV induced DNA damage. So it's really like a snowball effect. So if you have the UV rag, it's reduced, you're going to be, you know, more susceptible to UV induced DNA damage. And this damage will generate more UV rag deficiency. And, you know, this has become a vicious cycle. Yeah, it's really interesting. As soon as you have a little bit damage and the damage grows and grows, you then become increasingly susceptible to further damage. So it right. is you say, a vicious cycle. And I mean, obviously we've spoken about tanning. What is the role of sunlight in causing these mutations? 
Yeah, so actually, some sunlight is actually very good. You know, we know that some UV exposure is actually can help us to stimulate the production of vitamin D, and that is essential to health. You know, we know the vitamin D can help the body to absorb calcium and phosphorus from food, and it's also very important for our bone development. And immune function. So we do love sun, and it's very essential. But we just don't want to be get burned by the sun. So extensive or prolonged sunlight actually put us on high risk for developing skin cancer and melanoma, you know, because of the UV induced DNA damage. Why does the UV cause DNA damage? What is it biologically that's happening? There are three different UV rays: UVA, UVB, and UVC. And UVC has a shortest wavelength, and UVA has the longest one, and UVB is in between. And the shorter the wavelengths, the more energetic, and the longer the wavelengths, the more penetrating. So the UVC radiation from the sun is largely blocked by the ozone layer of the atmosphere. So we don't really have UVC here, but we mainly have UVA and UVB. But regardless of which UV ray we have, they could all harm cells by directly damaging the DNA. When the photon of a UV light hits a DNA, because DNA is a large molecule, the energy will be absorbed by the DNA, and then the DNA becomes excited and undergoes a harmful reaction. And one of these harmful reaction is, you know, what I mentioned that to fuse the neighboring pyrimidine base pairs. That's what we call the CPD. It form the neighboring pyrimidine base pair fused together, and this will generate copying mistake during DNA replication, and then leave the mutations in the cells. That's how the UV induced mutagenesis occurs. So you can imagine that if you are defective in repairing UV induced DNA damage, and then you have more exposure to UV or sunlight, you will have a higher chance. To have these mutations, and then a higher risk for developing melanoma. Are those mutations that lead to melanomas developing? Is that something that's getting increasingly common or less common, and why? I would imagine asking the question that something that's caused by, in some ways, sunlight and a gene not functioning quite as it should would remain constant over time. But I'm interested in whether that's true. Yeah. So according to CDC, the incidence of melanoma actually has doubled during the past three. Decades, so it's about one person dies of melanoma per hour per day. This is thought to be caused, at least in part, by increased sun exposure on holidays or outdoor activities like playing sports, especially in light-skinned people. And we know that melanoma is more than twenty times more common in whites than in non-whites, and. Indoor tanning could be another reason, such as tanning bed. I read a report saying that 800% increase in female melanoma is actually tied to tanning bed usage. But you know, certainly, you know, melanoma is like most other cancers; it's a highly complex disease. It's not simple. It's not single input, single output. So other factors like diet, physical activities, and mental health, even social environment, they could all affect this disease. By different ways, it's incredibly interesting because doubling is an incredibly large increase, and it's interesting that it's linked to more holidays, more tanning, and effectively more things that are controllable, more things that we can choose to do or not to do. Is that something that this research is kind of suggesting against? Would you kind of be suggesting that well, actually, maybe we should be doing some kind of a policy to reduce this disease getting increasingly common, even from where it is now? 
Yeah, definitely. So based on our research and many people's research, you know, we think the UV protection is important. So if you have to go to outdoor activities and, you know, vacations, you want to protect yourself from being overexposed to sunlight. I think that's very important to reduce the risk of skin cancer, especially for those for light skinned people and for the people who has a family history and, you know, they're genetically more susceptible. These people should be protected from UV seriously. This podcast episode is sponsored by Biobox Analytics. Biobox is a data analytics platform designed for scientists and clinicians working with next generation sequencing data. With Biobox, you can design and run bioinformatic pipelines on demand, generate publication-ready plots, and discover insights using popular public databases. Spots are limited, so sign up for the waitlist and be the first to access a free account at biobox.io. And I'm interested, why is it that white people tend to have many more melanoma cases than non-white people? That's because non-white people, they are more protected because of the melanin pigments. They have the increased melanin pigments, and these melanin pigments can filter twice as much UV as it does in whites. So most of UV are filtered in the non-white people, but in the white people, they have less and lighter melanin, so they are less protected. Yeah, right. So melanin acts as kind of another layer of UV protection naturally and sort of just built in. Right. What is your expectations for the research? Are you hoping to find something that's concrete that can be implemented in treatment straight away? Or what's the time scale for the research? Based on our research, we made actually a radical hypothesis. So we said that acquired deficiency in UV rack or in more general acquired deficiency in repairing UV-induced DNA damage or the UV protection actually may precede melanoma development. So it could be a driving force for melanoma driver mutations. So if we could identify little pieces of DNA on the specific genes and linocytes to predict this process, we might be able to alert patients and catch this disease earlier. This might also be the most cost-effective way to reduce the recurrence of this disease. You know, the goal here is to identify the biomarkers and the mechanism that could be utilized or targeted to help us predict, prevent, and wisely treat this aggressive type of skin cancer. So we actually strongly believe UV RAC serves as important biomarker for melanoma prediction. It also have implication likely for melanoma treatment, and this is something we are currently working on. Well, I was going to say, I mean, if you can find the biopredictors of the development and reoccurrence of melanomas, and therefore be practically advising people on a policy level and on a healthcare level as to how to avoid it. It's an incredibly cost-effective way. Yes, exactly. Right. What predicts reoccurrence? So say I have a melanoma that's successfully treated. What's going to predict my likelihood of that reoccurring or coming back up again in a number of years? I have to say there's no exact predictor so far. I don't think we have it. But we believe that if the melanoma has high levels of genomic instability, it also have a high chance of recurrence. This is, I think, because for the genetic unstable tumors and the cancer progression and the development is highly likely. But it's not just related to melanoma. I think the immune system 
is also matters. It's really a battle between the tumor and our immune system. So there are many reasons that could factor the recurrence of the cancer. I don't think we have the clear predictor for that, but that is something, you know, we should work on that. Yeah, and while we're talking about sort of probabilities and likelihoods, I noticed that you mentioned sort of obesity and general levels of health as one potential predictor for the development of melanomas. I know with cancer, the biggest or second biggest or third biggest risk factor, depending on the cancer, often is obesity. Is that also true with melanomas? So obesity is definitely, I think for some cancer like liver cancer, it's a risk factor. For melanoma, at least so far, it's not considered as a risk factor. But you know, obesity will generally affect the metabolism. And I do think it will affect the disease. But it's not, at least based on current studies, it's not considered as a risk factor. I think the sun exposure and the genetic susceptibility, they are considered as a major risk factor. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because you have different types of risk factors. Because they have different language. They have different biology. And also they have different environments, right? Because skin is exposed to the sun. I mean, you know, it's different. Absolutely. And then even within cancers like melanomas, as you say, obesity isn't a direct risk factor, but it might have effects on your metabolism and they might in turn be predictive. And I guess the interesting thing about working out the risk factors of a cancer is, as you say, there are so many variables. You even have your environment and your mental health, things that feel quite abstract relative to, you know, if you smoke, you might get cancer. Do you find part of the interest in researching cancer, trying to sort of pass through the different potential risk factors? Yeah, so it's very interesting. And if you can identify the risk factor and you can alert patients and alert people so they can take the, you know, protection caution and then prevent the disease. I think it's always more cost effective to prevent the disease rather than treat the disease afterward. So I think the biomarker for risk prediction is a very important research area in cancer. I was going to say, so at the heart of this research, it sounds like to me, is prevention. It's trying to understand this disease and understand our inbuilt genetic UV protectors such that we can stop people getting this disease in the first instance, rather than having to race against time and treat it. Especially because once someone does have it, it's obviously much more likely that it comes back than if you prevented its development in the first instance. Right. So we have the prediction for the disease development. We want to identify the predictors for the disease recurrence. So I think they're very important for the disease control, especially for such an aggressive disease. Yeah. Why is it that upon getting a cancer for the first time, you're many more times likely to get it again than someone who's never had it before? Yeah, I think that this is really related to the cancer themselves and also to the internal environment of the patient. Some cancers, they are more aggressive and they are genetically more mutagenic and also they are easily to develop resistant mechanisms. So for these types of cancers, they are easily to recur. And also I think the patient immune environment is also very good. Nowadays for the melanoma immunotherapy, they actually to boost the immune response of a patient against a cancer. So it's indirectly also indicates that immune response is very important. If your immune system is not working as expected, it also gives the cancer the higher chance. You know, it's gonna wake up some cancers that actually regressed, but you haven't cleaned them up completely. They're still there. They're just not actively working. But when the immune system is not working, this will actually facilitate the cancer regrowth. 
So clinically, we see the recurrence. Yeah, it's really interesting, right? So it's not just that the cancer causes a reoccurrence. It's also that the initial environment the cancer existed in is likely to be the same environment where a new cancer could emerge, or as in this case, the cancer could return. Bringing this back to melanomas just for a moment, what have the melanoma-specific challenges been? What's been interesting about doing this type of research or researching melanomas specifically that's proved challenging? I think the most challenge comes from this disease is very aggressive. So we know the skin cancer is the most common cancer in the United States, but the melanoma is the most aggressive type, most serious type of skin cancer. It affects about only one to 5% of people with skin cancer, but it's attributed to over 75% of all skin cancer deaths. So it's a highly aggressive and also it's a highly metastatic. Melanomas can migrate to other side, even though original tumor is still very small. It's not like, you know, the tumor grows so big and then it's still migrate. You have the tumor metastasis. This type of, you know, melanoma, they have a strong migration and a metastatic capacity. So all this actually are challenge in the treatment and the control of this disease. And that's another very good reason why prevention is so important. When you're talking about a disease that's so aggressive, it just becomes incredibly important to avoid getting it in the first instance, right? Yes, right. When someone does have a melanoma, how helpful is it to catch the melanoma earlier rather than later when it comes to life expectancy and survival rates? Yeah, so if you can really catch the melanoma in the very early stage, this disease is curable. So you just do the surgery and remove the disease spots and then it can be completely cured. But once the disease goes to the advanced stage, I have to say, even though there are significant advances in melanoma treatment, but still, I think the successful rate is not that optimistic. Is that in part because melanoma spread very quickly and very aggressively? Yes, it is. And also, I said melanoma is very mutagenic compared to most other types of human cancers. One striking feature of melanoma is a highest mutation burdens caused by UV. So with latest estimate, I think it's about 70 mutations per megabase. And also many melanoma driver mutations are caused by UV-induced damage. So the tumors are extremely mutagenic and unstable. And these tumors are generally considered more aggressive because they have the huge genetic flexibility and fitness. Yeah, and you spoke about how it's sort of in some ways a race between our immune system and the cancer. For a cancer to be so flexible, puts it at a very big advantage and maybe is one of the reasons why it is quite as aggressive as it is. Am I right in thinking your research isn't just focusing on the UV protector gene? So what we are trying to do here is actually, we're not just working on the UV rag because UV rag is essential UV protector gene. We actually now generalize our research to the UV protecting mechanisms. So even though this mechanism have been identified and recognized about how important they are to the general population, especially in the development of melanoma, I think is still need more in-depth study to understand to what degree and in what aspect this UV protecting mechanism could affect the pathogenesis of melanoma and so that we can utilize them and target them for better prevention and treatment strategies. So this is something we are very much interested in and I think it will also benefit a lot to the melanoma patients and even you know, to the general population to prevent this disease earlier. Are you optimistic about the future of preventing melanomas? 
Are you optimistic that this research and other similar research fields are going to yield practically changeable life outcomes for people who would have got melanomas but now don't, and those that do have melanomas? Yeah, absolutely. I'm very positive and very optimistic, and with more and more studies and biomarkers and preventing mechanism identified in melanoma, I think public awareness of this it will actually help people to you know self-exam their skin and to identify any pre-disease dark spots. You know if it's changing or if something happens, they can catch them earlier. And they can do some genetic tests to identify whether they have any biomarkers or risk biomarkers, and then they can protect themselves when they go outdoor activities. You know, you prepare yourself better, and then you can prevent yourself from this disease. So I think very important, and will definitely change the incidence of this. Hopefully, it can reduce the incidence of this aggressive disease. Yeah, it strikes me that public awareness is particularly important with melanomas, and I say that for two reasons. The first is there are biomarkers you can find, right? This is something that you really can notice if you can notice a change in your skin or mole patterns that weren't there. And the second is there's lots of easy, practical things we can do to avoid or reduce our risk of getting melanomas. And because we're all in the sun for the vast majority of our lives, be it for some part of the day. It seems like public awareness on melanomas, especially given how aggressive they are, is something that's slightly underdone, and is something we could probably benefit from being slightly more in the public conversation. Exactly. So let more people to be aware of both the good and bad side of UV exposure or sun exposure, and you know, encourage people to wear sunblocks, sunscreens more often. And I think all these are very important to prevent this disease. And also do the self-exam of your skin. And if you know you have the family history or you have some genetic susceptibility, and you should check a little more often because it's always good. You can cure this disease if you can find it. It's interesting, right? Because it's not just one type of melanoma. We're mainly talk about cutaneous melanoma. You know that is more common in whites and in non-whites, and we are actually also working on acromelanoma, acrolentiginous melanoma, and this is a small population of melanoma. A lot of study have been done, and also the immunotherapy is very important. It has been very successful to control this disease. And but acrolentiginous melanoma, this is highly aggressive, super metastatic. And you know that Bob Marley dies from you know the disease. It has less related to sun exposure or UV damage, and not many driver mutations identified, and no targeted therapy available. So we are also put a lot of effort trying to understand the pathogenesis of acromelanoma. So this is something we're also working on to find out the biomarkers and targets for the new opportunities to control this disease. Yeah, I mean that's exactly where you want as much research as you can, as quickly as you can, because as you say, it doesn't have many biomarkers. It's tricky to understand, and is uber aggressive. Yeah, we need more studies on that. Yeah, more efforts. Brilliant. Well, Dr. Liang, thank you so much for coming on and taking us through the research. I've learned an awful lot. It's funny because skin cancer is something that is in the public conscience, but not nearly to the degree you might expect. Given its aggressiveness and the fact it's so preventable, especially if you're aware that you're somebody at risk. So,、exactly. thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much, Jamie. It's my pleasure.